Welcome to HBCU Highlights, where we spotlight and tell the stories of prestigious, historically Black college and university graduates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HBCU Highlights, where we spotlight amazing HBCU graduates. We talk about what they're doing professionally, what they're doing in their community, and more. And we are so excited to welcome you to this episode. My name is Andrea Evans, and I have the pleasure of having my fabulous co-host, Ashley Deadwiler-Jones, here today. But we are so excited. We'll be asking for autographs after this interview because we have a world-renowned musician with us today, Grammy-nominated Tia Fuller, who's not only a musician, but she's a professor at Berkeley College of Music which if you know anything about music, you know that is the most prestigious college for musicians. And I just have to say this before we get started. My daughter's a French hornist and we were in her band class and every day my daughter would tell me about a poster that she would see at her school. I happened to go volunteer and it was Tia Fuller's poster on the wall in my daughter's all girl school. And it just made me feel so proud to tell her band instructor that Tia Fuller was my Spelman classmate. So without further ado, I'm so excited to welcome Tia Fuller to HBCU Highlights. Tia, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Andrea. It's really an honor to be a part of the series. Well, we know that you had so many choices when it was time to choose a college. And you chose Spelman College. Can you tell us why did you choose to go to Spelman College? Yes, um, I think much like many of the stories that I've heard from my other Spelman sisters, um, at the time, A Different World was uh, um, the TV show that was that would come on right after a Cosby Show, and it's funny because um, we had a TV in our kitchen and we had these. Uh, rotating chairs, these revolving chairs. And there were so many epiphanies that I had um, being in these revolving chairs now, like in retrospect. And one of them um, was playing the saxophone. I remember like twirling around in it and then being dizzy. And then it just coming to me like, I'm going to play the saxophone. And then the other epiphany was after um, the Cosby show went off. I remember the preview of A Different World came up on the TV. I was like twirling around and I looked up and in the back of my head, I was like, I wanna go to a school like that. I wanna go to a school because it, it looked like so much fun. And you know, being from a, um, a predominantly white environment in the, sub the suburbs, growing up in Aurora, Colorado, um, I wanted to be in an experience that was um, being other, being around other women of color and um, powerful women, and then also having a good time and learning from each other. And so, when I found out that that happened to be a, a real school, um, I did some research. And uh, this is really the thing that um, that really locked it in for me is that my senior year. Uh, I was applying for schools and I applied to University of Maryland. Um, I applied to Spelman and I applied, I can't even remember where the other school was. It was just some random school because three was like a magic number to me. <laughs> and I, I ended up not making it into Maryland or the other school, but I made it into Spelman. And so 
when I realized I was going to go to Spelman, um, it was my senior year and went to a debutante ball. And um, during that debutante ball, I met a prospective Spelman student by the name of Margot Davis. And so we had a conversation and she was like, yeah, are you going to Spelman? And I was like, yeah. And then she was like, well, I'm kind of choosing between Howard and Spelman. But she said she ended up going to Spelman because I went there and we had met at the debutante ball. And, um, and until this day, we are best friends. I just got off the phone with her, actually. We ended up being in uh, Howard Herald, um, a dormitory together and just building the connection and both being from Colorado. You know, there was only like three of us from Colorado. <laughs> but uh, yeah, from there, it was, it was more or less a confirmation of, okay, this is where you're supposed to go. And then from that, I went to um, the prospective student weekend, I think, or week that, that they had. And I remember seeing, um, I, I just remember walking on campus and feeling the spirit and the energy of excellence. And I was like, all right. And then I met, I met the band teacher, Mr. Joe Jennings. And, um, and then from there, you know, after talking to him, I remember first walking into his office and he had a John Coltrane hat um, because that was really my only hesitation of going to film. And I was like, I don't know what the music program is going to be like. But surely enough, I sat down and talked with him. I played uh, a melody that I had been working on in big band, in my high school big band. And then um, he, I remember him sitting back in his chair like this and he was like, you have potential. <laughs> and it was really funny because um, throughout my entire time at Spelman, he never said, you're sounding good. He always said, you're coming along, you're coming along. And um, to me, that was, I mean, it was a combination of lessons, but he had shared that coming along, I realized that life is a series of coming along, just like, just keep working toward a certain thing. So that's how I, I got to Spelman. Oh my gosh. And look how far you've come along. <laughs> so Tia, when you were at Spelman, <laughs> what did you major in? And what were some of the programs, the music programs that you were a part of? Um, and, you know, tell us about that journey just as a student, um, what it was like for you at Spelman. Yes. Um, so I majored in, it was a general music degree. Um, although they didn't have the, the, jazz certificate that was later implemented. Uh, but I knew that I was really, I mean, my big picture was to move to New York after Spelman. So in the back of my head, I was like, I got to get this jazz thing together. I need to go and sit in and clubs, you know, throughout the week while I'm doing my studies and kind of because it wasn't a conservatory like a Berkeley or a Manhattan School of Music, I really tried to create my own conservatory by going out and um, in the city and sitting in and creating community there, um, which was, um, it was extraordinary because it, it really forced me to, it really forced me um, to dig deeper and to really seek, seek the level um, of skill level that I was, that I wanted to become. And so I was really trying to align myself with professionals in the field. Um, and then once I got to Spelman, I mean, I can't remember, there were many things that, um, that I remember about Spelman, but a couple of the programs I was in, mainly they were all um, instrumental programs, but it was, I was a part of the jazz ensemble, Spelman Jazz Ensemble that was directed by Joe Jennings, who was like my second father. 
And, um, and every spring break, we, we would be rehearsing every Saturday morning. Um, but every spring break in March for a week, we would go on tour. And it would be like an East Coast tour. And he would do everything himself. God bless Joe Jennings. I call him Mr. J. Because he was, it was a labor of love. He wasn't getting paid any extra. He would raise all of the money. Um, in New Jersey, that was probably the most um, supportive alumni basis. So every time we went on tour, we would go to New Jersey and they would just roll out the red carpet for us as a Spelman Jazz Ensemble. So that was always one of the highlights um, of being there. And, uh, you know, another highlight, it wasn't really a program, but for me, it was a level of fellowship. And that was, that was the cafeteria on Saturday mornings or the cafe Sunday mornings, I'm sorry. And we would all convene in the cafeteria. Y'all remember the waffles? <laughs> the waffle makers and the waffles and just sit and have um, fruitful conversations. And to me, in retrospect, it was really gold because those are conversations that have really um, stuck with me throughout the years. And those are relationships that um, I've built that I still tap into until this day. I love that, Tia. Relationships are so critical, and I love to hear you talk about Mr. Joe, you know, Mr. J, somebody that poured into you that told you that you were coming along, and that pushed you, and that's kind of been your mantra, you know, that you're coming along, and you have come a long way. Um, I want to go back, though, because you majored, like you said, and have your degree in general music. So what or who inspired you to even major in music in the first place? Because, you know, when I think of Black families, I think of doctors, lawyers, engineers, you know, that's more like wanting to be a basketball player. So who encouraged you and your family to want to study music in the first place? Obviously, you're talented. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I come from a family of musicians, and, um, and that was truly a blessing. Um, my mom and dad started a band when my sister and I, and later my brother came along, but when we were younger, and it was called Fuller Sound, like a, a double entendre, of course. Uh, and my dad plays bass, and my mom sings. And so growing up in that household that was rich and full of not only music, but the arts, um, my mother, she was a, she started off as a drama teacher, and then um, continued as a as an English teacher, but then retired as an assistant principal. And my father, he started off as a PE instructor, and retired as an assistant principal in the Denver Public Schools. But on the weekends, they would go and they would be gigging on the weekends. And so this is the culture that I grew up around um, with my parents, really balancing both both sides, the both worlds of education and then performance. And um, so, of course, I had so much, um, I had so much support from my parents. Um, and my mom, she would always say though, she was like, Tia, always have a plan B and a plan C. And um, I'm so thankful because now, as I look back, I'm able to leverage um, my teaching with my playing and my playing with my teaching, and it's all pouring essentially into the same pot. But um, in addition to that, I, I neglected to say that my sister plays piano. And, um, and of course, we've been playing together since we were young, but it wasn't until I was about 18 that I started performing professionally and gigging with my family. And um, so 
it, it's multiple tiers of support that I've had throughout the years. And, um, you know, just, just thinking back on like, um, holidays, we would, instead of getting gifts for the family, our extended family members, they would come over, my mom would cook, my dad and everybody would be downstairs playing pool and, you know, <laughs> and then we'd come up and we'd play a concert for the, for the family of Christmas tunes. And so that's, those are some special times looking back. Wow. What I would have, <laughs> that would have been awesome to be a guest at your house during one of those holidays concert series. Uh, you, talked about, you talked about gigging with your parents. I mean, so it's like, it's five of you, right? Kind of like the Jackson Five, except mom and dad were yeah. part of the group. So how cool yeah. <laughs> is that? Oh my gosh, I know it was so much fun for you growing up. But when you talk about gigging, um, why don't you share with the world some of the gigs, some of the really big gigs that you've been a part of, <laughs> national, international gigs? <laughs> um, well, well, when I first moved out to New York in 2001, I started my own band, which is the Tia Fuller Quartet. And then I started playing with other uh, named jazz musicians, such as T.S. Monk, um, Septet, who is uh, Thelonious Monk's son, and um, Ralph Peterson, who's a great drummer, Sean Jones, who's a great trumpet player. And then in 2006, actually at the point that, um, that I was recording my first album for Mac Avenue Records, which is the record label I've been with for the past 13 years now, um, I, I got all of these texts and emails and calls like, Tia, 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 Beyonce's having an audition for an all-female band. You got to do it. And so during that time, I was really stressed out trying to write for my first album. Um, oh, it was my second album, but first album on Mac Avenue. And so I, I went in, um, I listened to the song, which was Work It Out, um, one of her songs, and went in. And it was like a, a three-tiered process um, and ending up making Beyonce's band. And it was actually on Father's Day 2006. And um, that experience, I will never forget because that last tier, that last stage of auditions, um, it was Beyonce, Jay-Z, Miss Tina, Kelly Rowland, Matthew Knowles, um, and then their whole entourage. And when all 10 of us were out there playing and like jamming with each other, it didn't feel like an audition at that point. It felt like it felt like a party. And I remember looking up, opening my eyes and everybody's up dancing and everything. So. That's, um, yeah, she's probably, I mean, she's definitely one of the most noted musicians and performers I've played with. But I've also toured with Esperanza Spalding and um, Terry Lynn Carrington, who was the producer of my last album, Grammy-nominated album, Diamond Cut. Um, so I, just so blessed to, to have all of these angels in my life along the way to move me along. <laughs> Hey, Tia, your mom said have a plan B, and I think that plan B was plan Beyonce. And congratulations <laughs> to you, because that is amazing, because most of us just know Beyonce from afar. And not only is she a businesswoman, she's a musician and an artist and so much more. Can you just give us a little insight about maybe a lesson that you learned while working with Beyonce? Oh yeah, so many. These are endless. Um, due to the fact that we were in eight hour band rehearsals a day for eight days a week. <laughs> and um, 
12 to 14 hour production rehearsals for three months at a time before we went off on tour, there was a lot of time where we were just sitting there not doing anything and we're watching, you know, choreography get their moves and we're watching the lights and the video um, correlate with each other and everything with the staging. So um, during that time, I remember sitting back and I had my computer there and I'd be taking notes. Um, but one of the key things that I do remember is that um, not only is she a businesswoman, but she's extremely strategic and being proactive with staying visible on the market. Um, how she, if she's not on tour, then she either has a video out or she has a song or she's gonna be in a movie, but she was always staying at least seven steps ahead of where she was. And, um, and this has been a lesson that not only have I implemented into my career, but that I share with my students. And it's this phrase that I just drill into them, but it's be proactive in your preparation to create smooth transitions, not only in music, but in life and allowing for music to really be a manifestation of our life. And so many things from that experience, you know, um, also how to create like a cohesive set list as a performer, because as a, as a jazz musician, sometimes we get in the mindset of just spontaneity and the artistry, which is, which is the most important thing, but we forget about the audience. And we sometimes as jazz musicians just, um, we don't take into consideration the performance element of, okay, how am I looking on stage? Uh, what is my body you know, posture? How am I creating a set list, like the song after what song to, to tell a story? And so I've learned from her also to create a theme, something that people can attach themselves to, um, especially with the music that I play, it's, it's largely instrumental and there, there's no lyrics, there's no words. So, creating some sort of theme so that people can attach themselves to and, and um, create some sort of relevance to, to themselves with the experience. So I'm sure those who are watching may want to know what a Grammy award-winning saxophonist who is a part of Beyonce's girl band sounds like. Would you be willing to play a tune for us? Sure. <laughs> Do you all want to hear? You want to hear something fast? You want to hear something slow? Oh, whatever you want us to feel. Okay. <laughs> and while you're setting up, I'm just thinking how you said that University of Maryland didn't accept you. And I know you had a big concert at University of Maryland that was sold out. So I bet that when they paid you to come to University of Maryland, they regretted that. But I'm so glad that Spelman said yes, because you are our fabulous Spelman sister about to play for us. So this is oh. amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Andre. Um, okay, this is, this is a, a Cole Porter composition. It's one of my favorites. And um, I did an arrangement on my recent album, but this is dedicated to the both of you because you all are just so beautiful and I'm just really excited to reconnect with you via this platform. And this is entitled, I Love You. Oh, <laughs>
I believe you're also giving back in other ways and mentoring and maybe even looking at some ways to connect with Spelman. What does all that look like for you? Yes, thank you. Um, yes, so it's been on my spirit uh, for the past couple of years, um, the deconstruction of the Spelman Jazz Ensemble has happened. So basically there's no jazz ensemble. And I realized that if it wasn't for the jazz ensemble, I wouldn't have stayed at Spelman. My freshman year, I was actually thinking about transferring to Howard. And so I was undeclared my first year, uh, but because I made the choice to stay, it, the reason why I made the choice to stay is because I was at Spelman and they had a jazz ensemble. So um, now that they, they don't have that, um, uh, it, it's in the works, but uh, working on creating a cross-registration between Berkeley College of Music and Spelman and um, reintegrating and implementing um, not only the jazz program, but a general music program that's focusing on jazz, um, hip hop, R&B, hopefully electric music, anything that is reflective of Berkeley, because Berkeley has a wide span of like 500 ensembles. Um, with, with different ensembles and different genres of music. So that's my first thing. Um, and my second is creating a, a sort of an online school um, that is multiple tiers of uh, beginner, intermediate, and advanced, and um, a subscription-based school where people can go online and they, they'll get tutorial videos as to how to play, what are the fundamentals of music, and then more advanced theory, harmony and performance techniques, along with a beauty and a fashion section and also a workout section. So I may, I may need a video from you, Ashley. <laughs> I try. I try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. And it sounds like you've really just come full circle without even intentionally planning to do that. Um, it's just mm. like your steps were ordered to have gone to Spelman as an undeclared major to have your music professor at Spelman pour into you and encourage you and tell you to keep coming along. Fast forward on the outside looking in to anyone that knows music, they would think, hey, when you are with Beyonce, you've made it. But in your spirit to know that you had the courage and the confidence to say, I want a little bit more. And it sounds like you had a fabulous experience. Mm -hmm. And this position as a professor just sort of fell into your lap but you are a hard worker because I have personally seen you perform in person. Now you sound amazing on this interview, but if you all think that sounds good, imagine seeing her in person. It sounds even more amazing. And so I want to ask you about your CD and I want to ask you about the songs that you've composed on that CD and what motivates you to write those types of songs. Mmm. Ooh, this is a great question. You know, life. Life has been the impetus for all of my albums. <laughs> and um, the trials, the tribulations, uh, most recently, Diamond Cut in particular, um, it came after a six year hiatus of not recording. And I had actually transitioned, I had moved here um, to start teaching and I was really trying to sink my teeth in to what is this educational thing, this educational world? And it also gave me an opportunity to exhale because I was just hustling so hard for 10 plus, 20, uh, 15 plus years, just being a musician and balancing that world. Um, so I got here and when, 
when it was time to write for the album, I had um, shifted with my management. My entire team had just shifted. It was my management, my booking agent. And so it felt like I was starting from ground zero. And um, that was the whole that was a whole theme for diamond cut and essentially diamonds this term diamonds kept coming to me when i was writing and i realized it directly correlated with this process of becoming a diamond and um it moving in three different phases of okay a diamond upon inception a diamond does not look like a diamond it looks like a piece of coal and then once the diamond starts to rise um, that second level is, um, it's rising through extreme pressure and temperature. And so I'm seeing all of this because my mother had had a stroke. I'm balancing some family issues, you know, just traveling, uh, going back and forth. So I'm seeing all of these issues of just still balancing, but fighting through the pressure and the temperature. And then the third level really came, became apparent to me when, um, that third level is once you reach the top or a diamond reaches the top of the earth's surface, um, it doesn't shine, but it's supposed to reflect the light. And the more that I, the more that I reflected on that idea, it was like, oh, this is why God has placed me here in Boston to teach because all of this light that has been poured into me, all of the mentorship that has been poured into me, it's now time for me to do the same to these students. And essentially the process of the diamond and becoming diamond cut is um, it's not pertaining to size or the shape, but it's pertaining to the amount of the brilliance of the diamond pertains to the amount of the light that's coming through the diamond. And essentially we have to go back under sometimes. And I think this during this time of this pandemic and the quarantine, we have all been forced to go back under to reassess and to see, all right, how can I reinvent myself? How can I slow down and reflect as to how can I get to the next level of my life? And so I'm seeing that it's all been affirmations. And um, yeah, all of my albums have been affirmative of things that I still try to work on daily. <laughs> and by no means have I mastered it, but it's, it's something that I keep very close to me in the process. Wow. Well, you have been on this journey um, from Spelman to, you know, grad school and performing all around the world with these amazing artists and they having the opportunity to also perform with you. Um, so your wealth of knowledge, if, if I were interested in following in your footsteps or at least following a similar path and moving into a career of music, what words of wisdom would you share for me or with me? Oh, I would, a couple of things. First and foremost, always keeping God first. Um, but secondly, in an extension of that, always moving in faith and not fear. And with decisive steps, not being afraid of what others may think about you or say about you but truly moving in the light and the trajectory of your purpose. Um, and this is something that at different crossroads that I have uh, come to, and also with my students, they come to me and they're like, see, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, what, what is your motivation? Is it from a fearful standpoint or is it from a standpoint of I'm moving in faith? And, you know, essentially 
that the whole, the, the two ideas of faith and fear, they're always going to be components of each other. But I've realized that the faith always has to supersede the, the fear. Because if the fear is like this and the faith is under here, then we stay stuck. And we're existing in this, in this bubble, this lack versus abundance. But every time I've moved in faith and I've stepped outside of my comfort zone and I've pushed, it has opened up my world even more abundantly. And so, yeah, that, that would be one of the main things that I see over and over and over again manifesting in my life is moving forward in faith and not fear. I love that we can hashtag faith over fear. And you are an example of that to have literally stepped out on faith and transitioned into a new career as a professor. And then on top of that, to want to give back even more to make sure that somebody has an amazing experience as at Spelman as a musician like you had. And I want to ask you about your time at Spelman. So you mentioned that you had to rehearse every Saturday. And being a musician is hard work. You have to practice nonstop. So did you have a good time at Spelman? Were you able to have some fun? And I know music is fun, and I can tell you love playing that saxophone, but did you get a chance to hang out a little bit? And what was one of your favorite memories, if you had to choose one? I know it's a lot, but if you had to just choose one favorite memory of Spelman. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, I did have fun. <laughs> but I definitely had fun. Um, and it's funny because my close friends, Margot Davis, um, my friend that I told you about, and my roommate, Myla Brown. Um, so <laughs> on Saturdays uh, would be lower manly parties. And um, oh God, what did they call it? It was when all the vendors were downstairs. And so that was that was something that I looked, or no, I'm sorry, it was Fashion Fridays. It was Fridays. Mm -hmm. And just going downstairs, seeing all of the colleges come to Spelman's campus and everybody's, you know, networking, we're all having a good time. Um, that to me is a highlight as far as the party experience and going to the garage also. That was like the first club I had ever been to. <laughs> but um, I do remember though, the balancing of the two, you know, between partying and doing that but then um once it hit i remember once it hit two o'clock for lower manly i had to leave and i would leave the festivities and i was like i gotta go practice and um all of my friends such as margo and Milo, they were like oh T, you go i'm like i gotta go practice and i would surely enough lock myself in the um music building but i definitely etched out time for for some fun <laughs> Uh, you are sister driven on the move, not just going, but growing. I love that. And so many people want to follow you. They want to know where to find you um, on social media, where to go and, you know, find you on your website or purchase your music. Please share, 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 share. Yes. Thank you. Um, well, you can go to my website, tiafuller.com. And then you can also visit me on social media platforms, um, T Fuller One for uh, T Fuller One on IG and also Facebook. Um, and then you can purchase music, all of the um, online platforms, um, Amazon, uh, just Google me. You can Google T Fuller. There's videos in all five of my albums as well. Well, Tia, thank you again for joining us on HBCU Highlights. And look, 
if this is what coming along looks like, a lot of us need to keep coming along. So I want to push you to keep coming along. I cannot wait to see what you do next. And I cannot wait to see you again in person in concert, purchase your next CD and support you. And Ashley and I are so proud to call you our Spellman sister, our classmate. And we just are so proud that you are diamond cut, that you live with faith and not fear. And you are amazing. So thank you everybody for watching HBCU Highlights. Tia, thank you for joining us today and we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on HBCU Highlights.